the album is sung in the Welsh language, but the music is a, a filter of everything we ever listened to from the American underground and the Brazilian underground and the Welsh underground and some overground influences. So there's nothing to stop Mung from resonating internationally. Uh, we were bringing a bit of our own selves through in it as well, but um, it wasn't completely alien to people's ears. At the dawn of the new millennium, music in Wales was at peak popularity in the British mainstream, following an extraordinary decade of success. Manic Street Preachers, Stereophonics and Catatonia had all enjoyed number one records and were playing huge gigs. Gorky's Agotic Monkey were consistently releasing artful albums, whilst an explosive underground scene in Newport had seen the revered rock writer Neil Strauss label the city the new Seattle. Tom Jones was also back at the top of the charts with his highest selling album to date, Reload, so both the old and new generations of Welsh music were dominating the UK charts. Meanwhile, the Super Furry Animals, a band who were ever-evolving and simply couldn't be pigeonholed, were planning their next step. Fuzzy Logic, Radiator and Gorilla, on creation records, had been pop-rock gems full of songs bursting with ideas and creativity. But their next release, Mung, would become one of the most important albums in Welsh music history. After too long in the shadows, the eyes and ears of the nation were on Wales at the millennium. But what was it like actually being there amid such a thriving music scene? Musician, actor and writer Gareth Potter remembers. So by 1999, the um, the Welsh Assembly had opened down in the bay. And um, I guess in 2000, uh, Moon came out and it seemed like a culmination of... Uh, and Wales seemed a far more confident place uh, then. Um and that, that, than it had been for the previous 20 years. You know, young people were saying, yeah, I'm Welsh, rather than pretend, you know, rather than just be in denial of that. Here's Welsh music journalist and author David Owens. The Welsh music scene at the um, dawn of the millennium was incredibly healthy. It was an unprecedented era of success for Welsh music, especially for super furry animals who obviously had enjoyed great success with their first couple of albums. By the late 90s, the embers of Britpop had long since burnt out and the national music press was keen to seize upon a new movement. Enter Cool Cymru. It was perhaps a lazy catch-all term to crop together wholly disparate bands under its umbrella like Britpop, but it did describe the collective enthusiasm and quality of the Welsh bands who were now leading the charge and in the mainstream. Here's legendary Welsh punk of Anraven, Rhys Moyne, and BBC broadcaster Sue Charles. What's known as Cool Cymru, which I know everyone doesn't like, but I, I always remind people it's far better than Uncool Cymru. It meant that you saw bands on daytime TV. I remember seeing the Super Fairies on uh, Richard and Judy, and it was where, um, for many people, that was where they first heard the music. So I guess in that sense that you've got bands on top of the pops, you've got bands reaching... Uh, a global market, it was a step forward. Throughout the 1980s, it was notoriously difficult for alternative, English-speaking Welsh bands to get signed. 
A&R reps reversed travelling over the Severn Bridge, and any national press was often accompanied by anti-Welsh headlines and puns. At the same time, though, there was a great Welsh language music scene going on, which was a far cry from the throwaway pop and male voice choirs. This got the attention of John Peel, thanks to the likes of Rhys Moyne. Here's Mung producer and long-term Super Furries collaborator, Gorwal Owen. Well, outside the mainstream, it was very much the DIY scene, you know, in the 80s, early 80s. Um, you know, now we've got the internet, it's quite difficult to explain um, the excitement of getting a cassette through Abbott AV or somewhere, you know. You know, there was a kind of micro scene there revolving around um, Richard and Wynne, that flach, um, that bluggy and Malcolm Neon. Here's Super Furry Animals frontman, Griff Rees. I was surrounded by amazing music in the Welsh language in the 1980s. Uh, growing up in Bethesda, there was a guitar band boom there. And then in Llanroost, in the next valley, there was um, bands like a Kirf. And then incredible experimental bands coming out of Inishman, uh, Plampachornis, Super Fury's bassist, Gitto Price. I guess this is the age of John Peel and the Tube, and some of these bands were appearing on those programmes. Quite a diverse ish selection of, of alternative sounding bands. Um, all the gigs were really vibey as well. So it, it, a lot of them felt like events. The, the Welsh. Uh punk scene uh, started gathering momentum at the end of the 70s and the early 80s um, so my band Clistia Coon I, um, was 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 a kind of a garage uh, rock band um, uh, you know we come this uh, in in the throes of punk rock uh, uh, at the intercollege gig uh, where we were supporting Gary Jarman who was amazing um, I met a guy called Tree Smoin um, and he was doing fanzines and I met him and, and I think that for me was when it changed where when when bands started to be less of kind of uh, college hobbies, you know, like uh, and and started to be a thing, uh, and, and and an alternative network of gigs started happening. Then I guess Chris Chris Moen shifted things up a gear with a compilation and um, well the two compilations and thinking beyond the Anglo-American kind of um, world, I guess. With us, from Andrim onwards, we were heavily influenced by punk, post-punk, part of which was to rebel against what had gone before. So for Andrim, being slightly punky and anarcho-punky and contrary, it was great for us to slag off everything to do with Wales and the Welsh language and Welsh culture because it gave us that thing saying, we're not interested in any of this, here's the new. The bands I'm talking about represented, for me, a new Wales, a new way of thinking about Wales uh, with anarchist values, um, very um, self-confident, 
um, you know, very confident in their own skins as Welsh speakers and Welsh people, but without the chauvinism of the previous generation um, making a point of not singing the national anthem at the end of gigs like that that had been the nor- normal in uh, the 70s and early 80s um, portraying an, you know, inclusion, uh, bringing in non-well-speaking people um, to share the music as well, taking the music to the world. There was this interesting thing about feeling um, part of a pan-European music world, but also um, making contacts with bits of Wales that were kind of new to me, um, almost exotic. Um, it was a very different atmosphere, and very inspiring, and, and that's the context for what I grew up on, you know, um, where, you know, anthems uh, and flags are saved for ceremonial um Spotting events and things, fine, you know. I like the way Nicky Wire uses the Welsh flag, for example, because it's often side by side with a feather boa, um, maybe with a machismo taken out of it. Um, so I think symbols of identity can be used really well, but um, it's great when music is subversive. I and we, Bernie and what could we admire bands who spoke up about things and, and questioned things. You know, it's very important to question the norm. Within the religion of nationalism and politics, the art exists in a secular space um, where it can be critical. And um, that's the context of the Hmong and, and the way we were thinking and, and portraying ourselves as, as Welsh people. interesting things is there are two members of Kirf, Mark and Paul, who then become members of Catatonia. Gitto from Utant becomes a member of Super Furry Animals. Griff and David, of course, were in Far Coffee Paub. So in a way, that sort of mid-80s, late-80s, early 90s activity, a lot of them singing in Welsh, gave those characters, those crucial players uh, their training ground I started playing in bands when I was 13 I was uh, playing drums for a band called Machlid and then I formed um, for Coffee Pop uh, with Rotary Poo when I was 16 um, and um, both those bands were Welsh language Welsh speaking bands um, you know but I grew up in a Welsh-speaking area um, where I didn't need to use English every day. Um, You know, so um, singing in English would have been completely daft and to a certain extent beyond my abilities. Um, And Faculty Pulp released three studio albums
I joined you when Dan you can uh, when I was you know seventeen. Just very exciting to an established band and uh, we tapped into Reese Williams um, network of Eastern European what punk uh, drinking dens who, who um put on bands who would go out to Czechoslovakia and to Germany uh, and you know, it was an exciting scene and there was a lot of exciting things that could come your way by, be, by being part of the scene. Following their days at Machlid, Utant and Fakofi Paub, Griff, Bunf, Dav, Kian and Gitto would join forces under an English name, albeit an iconic one, Super Furry Animals. The debut EP in 1995 on the Anx label would still be exclusively Welsh though and memorably titled Llan Fair Pukwyn Gikogerechun Droberch Fartasilio Gogogoch in space. By which point I was starting to write a little bit in English, so um, I'm enjoying it. Um, and I'd been in college in Manchester. I'd, I'd practiced my English a bit by then, and uh, um, I was enjoying writing in it as a, as a change almost. And came from an instinctive and youthful place. Um, it was also very disruptive, um, and disruption is a sort of sickening term used by uh, marketing executives now and uh, advertising gurus. Um, but I mean, in a way, it was a classic act of, of disruption, but coming from an instinctive and youthful place. I mean, what was Griffey supposed to do? He'd gone to art college, uh, he'd been in a band. You know, was he to become a teacher? No, he was to become a proper rock star. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, but there was a lot of opposition within the Welsh scene, or some opposition, very loud opposition, not, not a lot of opposition, um, to, to, to the furries um, singing in English. You know, it was like uh, they'd almost betrayed the scene, but... Uh, most people didn't see it like that, to be honest. Um, and it was great, and, and, and people were very supportive of him, as they were of Catatonia. Um, you know, I, I, I was sharing a flat with, with Karis and Mark from Catatonia in Cardiff at the time, um, and, and we were very aware of the super furry animals, um, you know, the, over... Uh, they, they, they were in Cates, we were, we, we were in Adamstone, and, and, you know, we'd, we'd go to the same house parties. Maybe I'm being a bit naive, because... I'm not fluent, so I don't remember it being quite such a big deal as uh, some other people do. Uh, what I do remember was as a teenager listening to John Peel and uh, he'd play Far Coffee Pope and he'd uh, jokingly say, oh, that sounds rude in English, but it, it means coffee beans for everyone in Welsh. And uh, I remember him playing songs like Athlan Oivern and, and that stuck with me, hearing songs in Welsh on Radio 1, because anyone who knows the Super Furries background would know how much Welsh language material they'd already released. And I think most people they wouldn't give them much stick. I think they'd be glad to see them be successful because they're creative and exciting and they're great ambassadors for Welsh uh, without being tub thumpers. Despite animosities in some quarters and an awkward appearance at the Eisteddfod, the Super Furies have always been internationalist in their outlook, regardless of how proud they are of their Welsh roots. As bandographer Rick Rawlins explains, 
I think when they came across overt nationalism or flag waving, that was when they'd uh, get a bit of an allergic reaction. There is that story of the Estefad where they were told to sing in Welsh, so they played an instrumental set. I think they love Wales, but far from being uh, nationalists, they're actually internationalists. The Estefad has a Welsh only rule, and uh, we question that, rightly or wrongly. I, I, I don't know. Uh, we, we just book. But what early animals were doing, uh, we weren't the first band to do it. And Seem to be some people in the in, in the media who sometimes you need a story um, and you need they you know, did all rants about things. So maybe to be honest, we felt most mostly bought with people in Wales. Welsh musician and head of the Recordiai Kosh record label, Owen Gwynedd. I never really cared what language someone chose to sing in and um I think that whole backlash business got blown out of proportion. To be honest, it was um, it was just a band choosing to sing in English because it, it was more marketable at the time. Um, they didn't they didn't turn their backs on anything, and which which was proved by Moan. Super Furries were bold in their ambition as a Welsh-speaking band to get their music heard further afield than Wales. So when the coolest label in the country, Creation Records, came calling, it was an easy decision. Signing to Creation was a no-brainer for us. Um, we'd been in bands for, you know, over a decade playing and some of our favourite music as teenagers came out um, directly or indirectly from from Creation. Uh, Bands like the Cheese and Mary Chain, Prim Scream, um, My Bloody Valentine, Teenage Fan Club. Um, I grew up on that music, so when we heard Creation were interested in signing the band, uh, we turned down, I don't know, Island Records, for example, um, to go with Creation. It was an absolute no-brainer. So it was quite exciting, although there were a few people going, Ooh, look at them, who do they think they are? <laughs> Saying it's English labels. <laughs> uh, it was usually older crowd who were a bit more, more into um, politics and music, uh, really. And, 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 and like, you know, you find them everywhere. They just want to slack people off. I'd say we were co-conspirators with creation. Um, we were very ambitious. Um, it was a time where fairly obscure bands could become, um, could sell lots of records and things like that. So we were, we wanted to make interesting pop music and Creation was the, was the place to do that. When we signed, we didn't necessarily think, you know, we signed a five album deal or something, but we thought, you know, we could always be dropped. So we lived every day as if it, was the last, you know, and we put everything into every record as if it was going to be our last ever record for a big leap ball. If you don't know me, you will destroy you. Take a page around my book, turn around and have a look. Super Fury Animals were never a band content to rest on their laurels. Their madcap music had entered the mainstream and the easiest way forward would have been to produce more of the same. 
Yet the band reacted to the success of Fuzzy Logic, Radiator and Gorilla with a desire to record a much starker and lo-fi album. Emphasis would be placed on songwriting rather than exploring the studio to its utmost. There would be less sheen on the production to produce a rawer sound which would be recorded live in the studio. Well, I don't really remember any concept. I'm not sure I remember that with any of the records, but the band might have had one, of course. Just broke, broke mom, came up with the idea. You know, they're his songs, and he would have been a driving force behind that record. The idea around Mung was a process, really. Um, we did a cover of A Team Lad by Dad Lucky, uh, a very raw live version when we were recording our previous album, Gorilla. is very different though in the way it came together you know some of the tracks were started off here some um, with Greg in Cardiff acclaimed Welsh producer and engineer Greg Haver to get asked to be involved in those sessions was great and um, we spent a weekend like a long weekend I believe at famous studios that eventually became faster studios once the Manage Street Preachers bought it um, it was probably the last session I did to analogue tape so I remember lots of editing with razor blades and China graph pencils and uh, real old school ways of working. And I think part of that was to keep the cost down. I believe it cost about £6,000, which is a, a load of money, but um, it was a fraction of some of our previous records. Pro Tools back in those days was not very fast, so working to tape was really quite an instinctive, intuitive way of working. And... Uh, and I think that kind of feeds into the songs. The songs feel vibrant and they feel immediate. And uh, they were just great to work with. I mean, they just are a truly brilliant band in the studio. They just, they, they push you as, a, as an engineer and producer and they push themselves. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a really great experience. And um, watch them work and hang out and, and they're great people to be with. If I remember right, I think Kian put quite a bit of um, Sad and Helen together in Cardiff as well. So in a way, I guess it's quite um, quite a thing that it does hang together so well. I can't remember exactly when, in 99, we did the session with Gorwell, um, but I believe that there was a solar eclipse on the last day of mixing. And I think... But Godwell maybe would have a more detailed diary. Um, I seem to remember we all went up as a band. Um, we did some live takes like Dakuhi, for example, um, Pandor Waur. Um, we overdubbed some demos at Donoretti. We'd made Gorilla, spent a lot of time on it and uh, worked a lot with samplers. Studio trickery and, and um, which is fun, you know. But I think 
nobody wanted to spend going to the studio for four months straight away and, and make another record. I, I guess we, we'd been touring quite a lot, so we were enjoying playing. And, um, you know, going, going in the big studios, it's quite difficult to set up live and, and feel comfortable and be able to hear everything because you're in headphones and everything in different rooms. So it's, it's quite quite a long, laborious um, process. The band had hit upon a winning formula with the previous three albums, but Mung would be recorded very quickly and with a new, starker sound, risk alienating the fan base they had established. However, those fears proved unfounded. It was a bit more stripped back, it was a bit more live, session-y type feel, and if anything, that added to the quality of the album because you could see that they were a really good band, it wasn't just effects and synthesizers and guitar pedals it was more they're, they're just a really good band and they can do what they do live as well and i guess what came from that is this uh indescribable sort of magic of a band functioning as one single entity with a personality that's just totally their own it's a lot of fun to record like that if you do something in two weeks you, you keep being enthusiastic about things where things take longer than you have to dwell on things start question things that you're doing in the studio where we've probably let a lot of things go and, and it's a better record for it and quite fulfilling to do something so immediate. Um, Mung took a couple of weeks to make, uh, maybe a week's recording and a week mixing, something like that. Basically, I think there's different ways of making records, um, different conditions, different places, and I don't think any one way of making records any better to any other um, you know with the first few records you know Angst and Creation they were fantastic really just in creating the conditions you know for things to happen it doesn't matter if that's a small room up here or in a place like Rockfield I really loved the sessions um, they were really not pressured at all they were I think the band were just enjoying being in the studio making a record without any pressure because there was nobody on their backs to get it done and uh, it was very creative and I what really impressed me about them was um, just the collective nature of the recording there were there was no really defined roles you know, everybody played what they normally play but they would kind of jump on and do some synths or they'd have an idea and they'd play some guitar and it was it was all just a really enjoyable fun relaxed environment i think one of the great strengths of the band you know for me anyway is that there's always been that balance between great songwriting and um experimentation and the way that um where everybody in the band you know had really great ideas about production and then i got left there to mix um because it, it was the context was we'd been touring gorilla and just on the road for, you know, years. So it usually something like the mixing process, we'd all be there really, all five of us. At every process of making a record, usually you'd have every member at everything, you know, the, the things generally wouldn't get delegated in Super Animals. But in, in this instant, I think everyone was a bit crazy. So I, I stayed with Garwell to mix most of the record and then, with a couple of days to go, I was going stir crazy 
and they decided to go home to Cardiff and uh, Dav came up um, to finish mixing. I think Queen Abia was the last track that needed to be done. So he sat with Gorwell. And at the time, I remember being really stressed because they hadn't put reverb on the trumpet. And um, But now I, th- I think it's the, the best mix of the album. The change in approach would also be reflected in the album's artwork. Usually renowned for their colourful psychedelic characters, unusual beasts and bizarre landscapes by artist and friend Pete Fowler, the Mung Sleeve would be the total opposite of the previous ones with its minimal monochrome palette. The album artwork from Mung was quite a departure really. Uh, that was my first uh, album I did collaboratively with the band with my friend Mark James, who's an amazing artist, designer, illustrator based in Cardiff. And the approach for the album uh, being recorded in a relatively short amount of time compared to a normal album recording. And also in Gorwell Owen's home studio in a more stripped back approach with the the instrumentation. Uh, We wanted to do something kind of to reflect that. So I kind of started drawing up lots of different ideas um, and usually I do work up a handful um, to then present to the band. So the idea for the for the goat was, I suppose, a rural uh, feel to the album. Um, so I wanted kind of uh, something less, not so monstrous, so to speak, um, but also with the twist of it, smoking a pipe, which I suppose is, gives it a sort of uh, a human quality and I think a kind of slightly... Um, mythological, mystical edge to it, uh, almost like it was a an old god, perhaps, or a creature that's sort of always been there throughout time in the mountains. As I mentioned, there were several other designs that I proposed to the band for the album cover. Uh, one of which was uh, a, a woman riding a horse, which actually kind of picked up later on for the. Phantom Power album, which is uh, was a, a, again a bit of a nod to uh, <laughs> the Beach Boys Surfs Up album but that's another story. So yeah, we that that was one of the contenders, and there's a few more that I think had a horse in it and had more of a sort of complete image uh, with a, in, in a landscape. So there's a few kind of variations on that, and then the goat, which was my favourite, but when put to the band that was the one that everyone seemed to really like I think it was because of the simplicity I think it had more of an impact and as I said it kind of, it kind of reflected the, the, the contents of the album as well Griff shared some of those older designs on Twitter quite recently and uh, I think they were on fax paper or <laughs> well, certainly his, his versions were on fax paper On the Angst DVD zine Crummy, Griff Reese said that he didn't want to release anything in Welsh to S4C's Disney specifications. I suppose S4C's only as good as its commissioners. And uh, in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, uh, the commissioning uh, got really conservative. And the sort of um, 
good old days of video now and the really progressive uh, programming came to an end and um, they got into a bit of a sort of celebrity culture right um, and stopped being in a way the the sponsors or commissioners of um, exciting music and art and filmmaking we went trying to make a big Welsh language pop record uh, or a pop record for the There was a Welsh MP who stood up in Parliament and commended the fairies on scoring this huge selling Welsh language album, uh, which of course, it must have felt like a surreal U-turn from those days where S4C did a very critical documentary on them, calling them the sons of Thatcher for singing in English. The funny thing about this though, is that the band never seemed to engage in these kind of arguments that other people were having. It was just the case that by this point in their career, they'd stopped mixing English and Welsh songs up on the same album like they had with Radiator. And so it's just a case of they had some Welsh language songs. Let's make a Welsh language album. You know, it's their first language. They converse in Welsh. They live their lives in Welsh. They spent many years singing in Welsh. They're very proud of their roots and given an opportunity to spread the language to the world. Why wouldn't you do it? And he obviously had the platform for it. So broad were the band's accents that creation head honcho Alan McGee once thought the band was singing in Welsh when they were actually singing in English. But what was creation's reaction to the band's desire to release a Welsh language album? I mung the label sort of trusted us and we had a good um, relationship with them and they weren't faced by, by the Welsh language um, as they maybe were initially. Um, Alan McGee, even when he gave Mark Bowen the the job of A&R at Creation, he said, you know, as a 25-year-old, whatever, you can uh, you can do what you want, but you can, I'll never let you sign a Welsh band. Um, he, Mark was from Caerphilly, but, but then he signed this. Well, obviously, with a band of the Super Furry Animals stature releasing something in Welsh, in the Welsh language, that was good because it was going to reach, you know, many more people than Andrew or Daplegi or Kirf would ever reach. Although they're creative and sometimes appear a bit shambolic, they clearly had ambitions. Uh, So by singing in English first, uh, they could you know, start the ball rolling, get the attention. And, and then by the time that they've got noticed and there's that level of interest in them, uh, they had the freedom to go off and uh, make the Welsh language album. I think looking at the first three albums by the furries, Fuzzy Logic, Radiator and Gorilla, obviously they were, a, you know, a giant step forward for Welsh music, really. Here was a band that carved out a unique place with sort of, you know, idiosyncratic... Um, pop music, essentially. It was colourful, it was accessible. You know, they were an animated band in in many ways. And I think people just fell in love with them. Um, They radiated a a real sort of warmth, a real joy, um, a real accessibility, even though the music and every attempt tried to push the envelope. And I think that was down in many ways to being on creation records. Um, You know, Alan McGee gave them 
carte blanche essentially to do what they liked. So they were totally into it um, and had no commercial expectation. Um, that's a sort of label that creation was essentially. Um, allowing bands free will to do what they like within reason, I guess, you know. After an astonishing rise throughout the 90s for Creation Records, especially after signing Oasis, the label had folded in 1999, Casting Mung's release into doubt. We plugged away at creation in, with the Welsh language and um, they were going to promote Mung as a kind of specialist album, uh, like he would uh, a jazz album. That was their analogy at the time. And um, I think, but then perhaps mostly because it wasn't a pop record, you know, we, we'd been making a lot of glossy pop records. Well, Gorilla was a big glossy pop record, whereas um, Mung was a specialist album musically, uh, and it happened to be in the, in the Welsh language. Um, but, you know, Christian would have put it out if, if they were still going, for sure. I, I, I don't think Creation had any problems releasing Welsh language music. I think um, they're pretty open-minded and they're very supportive of us um, as a band. Um, you know they they were going to put it out. They they paid to record it, but then they they folded. So creation came to an end in ninety nine, just as Nostradamus said it would. Um, and um, we had Mung uh, recorded and mixed and ready to go. Uh, they were going to release it, uh, but suddenly there was no label. Everything that we'd set up for creation already, we, we could still use those things like the people we, you know, people we worked with, like press people and, and all that. And the band was established by then as well. So I think we just, we, we had nothing to lose, actually. You know, I don't think we had any pressure. It was a bit of a pain in that, it wasn't by choice, but then um, our managers, Angst, Alan and Griff, took over and we revived our record label, Placid Casual. And by then, uh, Rhiannon, Davon Keon's sister, uh, was working for Angst and Owain. Um, there were, there were about four people in the office uh, on Cowbridge Road in Canton and um, with the experience of putting records out and with just then three massively hyped albums. So uh, distributors were happy to distribute, you know, a record on, on our own label. So they the distributors fronted the money for promotion and things and we were able to devise our own anti-advertising campaigns um, so we'd, we'd just we'd only use negative remarks um, or bad reviews you know and um, I think we did an advert for the enemy just 
highlighting all the bad reviews and using quotes and it was, and it was brilliant and it worked really well. Um, we had um, yeah full co- control over it. It was um, it was sort of homegrown and fun and uh, an adventure. Released on the 15th of May 2000, Mung reached number 11 in the UK charts, the first Welsh language record ever to make the UK top 20, and it became the best-selling Welsh language album of all time. In the House of Commons, MP Elfind Lloyd, in an early day motion on the 6th of June 2000, described Mung as a celebration of a new wave of confidence in the Welsh nation. But what did the fans think of it? It had less of a budget than their English uh, language albums, but um, immediately the Welsh scene took it to heart. I think it was one of the best things that ever happened, really. It seemed like the culmination of, well, 20 years of um, of, of uh, Welsh language music, more or less, you know, that, 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 that a band um, who had signed to a major, well, not a major, but creation were, a major indie. <laughs> um, so, and it was very exciting for someone who's an advocate of, of the Welsh language scene, as part of the Welsh language scene, to see a Welsh language record um, hit, you know, kind of the top 20 um, uh, uh, UK chart, you know. Um, that was brilliant. It was just an exciting time. It was just like, oh God, this is great. I can't remember where it was. Probably stoned somewhere. I used to smoke a lot of weed and, and so did everyone. So, you know, I'm... <laughs> At the time, my friends and I would just listen to the fairies while playing Mario Kart and passing a bong between each other. So I don't think we even noticed that they'd switched to the Welsh language. But that's great. I mean, they slipped it under the radar. And by the time we noticed, I think the feeling was, hmm, that is a beautiful language. I was living in Cardiff working for BBC Wales today and uh, I never bought a copy because the record company sent me one because we were doing a piece about the Super Furries releasing their first ever Welsh language album because it was a a great news story and then uh, later that year I I went to work for Radio 1 in London and uh, a lot of my music obsessed colleagues loved Mung and uh, it's always amusing uh, the, the people who would never think of trying to learn to speak Welsh who would then have a go at singing it. And uh, Mung seemed to capture people's imagination. I remember my friends there uh, having a go at singing in Welsh and it was quite easy to do the harmonies of songs like A Mylodi Ar A Mulon. Music's got the capacity to cut through where language alone doesn't. So the combination of uh, melodies and the harmonies, uh, great music is, uh, is a universal tongue. Here's the thoughts of Super Furry superfan Sean Gordon. I don't think with it being entirely in Welsh, it really affected uh, my enjoyment of the record. I'd already been completely sold by everything that they did any, anyway. So, um, you know, the melodies of the record just, uh, you know, hit me straight away. And uh, and also, there's, although it's more of an immediate sort of record you can still hear the complexities that's uh, that's in there from what you'd come to expect from super fur animals i've been a fan of the furries since around 1996 when i saw them support the manix in hull i know exactly really where i was around the time when mung came out uh, and going across to my local record shop which used to save things for me uh, over in leeds 
and uh, I remember picking it up on the day of release and, and bringing it home and uh, putting it on the record player straight away. When it first came out, I bought the vinyl and the CD, uh, but since then I've ended up with nine different copies, I think. So there's the uh, obviously the originals and the promos that go with the originals and uh, the Japanese version and the promo that goes with the Japanese version and the 15th anniversary uh, deluxe and standard vinyl and the promos that go with those as well. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I've acquired quite a few different copies, uh, much to the displeasure of my wife, who thinks that owning more than one copy of, uh, of one album is absolutely bonkers. was rather received by the fans, the band made the surprise decision not to tour it in Wales. BMG record label project manager Lee Jones remembers. One of the things which, which really sort of struck me was when Mung came out, the band refused to play in Wales to support it. We didn't want to tour the record in Wales. It just didn't feel right. We didn't want to turn it to some, uh, some big rally. Up until that point, I'd been living uh, in England for about nine years and my Welshness was something which I'd never, ever be critical of. And this was a very sort of quote-unquote Welsh band being critical of Wales and Welshness. And it was something which I'd never really seen before and never sort of, it's something which obviously I perhaps felt but was too scared to sort of admit. And it was really, really exciting to sort of see that. It was just a massive, massive impact on me and my Welshness at that time. <laughs> we didn't want to create a sort of... Um... Hollywood sentimental homecoming gig, you know. Um, I don't like Hollywood films, uh, with you know, with exceptions, but um, you know, just instinctively, we wanted to take Mung to the world, you know, and um, we'd probably just played the CIA, you know, like four months earlier, do you know what I mean? So, in Cardiff, so I mean. Although it seems like a huge gesture, maybe we just we were just burnt out as well. We have quite a lot of emotional baggage with Wales. We know absolutely everybody. It's always oh, that playing gigs in Wales. No, it's just I don't know. I don't you need a rest from it. Being awkward, we decided to play Reading Festival, which is one of the biggest gigs we ever did. Um, as a band, um, Redding and Leeds, and then the F- uh, Fuji Rock Festival in Japan, and we toured the east coast of America. I love play something else that you won't understand the word of, and uh, the sad song is called A Melody Aramulon. So the gigs for Mung on the East Coast were really well attended. And then we decided to start uh, the Rings Around the World album in Woodstock in uh, Bearsville. So after the, the last New York gig, uh, they were supposed to drive us to the studio, but we'd sort of fallen out with the bus drivers. 
uh, who were a husband and wife team. Uh, they were very religious from the deep south. And, um, and I don't know if you could, could imagine uh, the excitement of playing uh, a sold out gig in New York when you're in your 20s. And then you're driving around in a tour bus after the gig and um, maybe it didn't fit in with the lives of the religious um, husband and wife team uh, who on the bus and uh, uh, very friendly, I'm sure, we ended up just being sort of dumped on the side of the road. They threw out, threw out all their equipment um, bags, pump uh, only had one shoe. They drove off with um, when a pump shoes. So we, we were just miles from the studio um, by the side of the road, by a forest, somewhere between um, Woodstock and Bearsville. Um, and there are live bears around as well. Um, so that was the end of the, the Mung tour. And the beginning of the Brings Around the World <laughs> recording. In 2015, a group of furries fans paid homage to Mung by releasing a brass album covering every song in its entirety. Here's Owen Roberts of Claregate Brass Brand. The main idea with Slatterga Brass Band was to celebrate Welsh language music. And um, yeah, you can't ignore Mung in terms of the repertoire of Welsh language pop music. I think it's the one that's sold most. Um, and yeah, it's just full of so many great tunes. And for me, growing up in the 90s, you know, it had a big impact on me musically. I knew the tunes really well. And also people outside of Wales, uh, no, it, it's not quite the same as covering David Iwan or Carol Party Jones. When you play Kendall Calling or play a gig in London, people will generally know a few tunes off Mung. So, um, yeah, and it's been great for us as a band playing those tunes and <laughs> kind of uh, they're still in the repertoire now. Uh, Mung inspired my music more than anything because um, I wasn't do- I was making much music at the time, but um, when it came out, I was a very impressionable late teen, um, just past my driving test. And me and my mate Toast Koch, who's the bassist from Frisbee, used to um, take long drives and listen to CDs in my silver Honda Civic 1.3 injection 16 valve. <laughs> the biggest testament to Mung, I think, is that we used to listen to it next to uh, stuff like the Beatles' Let It Be Naked. It was like alternate versions of the song from Let It Be, the album from the Beatles. And Mung, really, I, th- I still think it's up there with those kind of albums. It's that good. If you grew up in Wales, speaking Welsh, the Super Fairies are... They're one of those rites of passage bands. They're almost like the Beatles. You know, you sort of, when you're growing up, you're into music. That's just one of those bands that you listen to. They're sort of timeless for people growing up speaking Welsh. They just sort of have that sort of that place there anyway. And I think they had that place anyway before they did Mung. But Mung just sort of cemented their position there as like, yes, we sort of, we are a part of this. We are part of this world sort of thing. I think Mung has, has, has kind of improved. It's become part of the Welsh 
music canon, be it English or Welsh. It's certainly in my top three Super Furry Animals albums, and I love the Super Furry Animals. Um, it's it's up there with uh, with, with Radiator and Fuzzy Logic. Um, it's, pro- it's probably my favourite, to be honest, but I am biased because I'm a Welsh speaker. I don't know whether it's their best, but that's... Um, uh, objective, but subjectively, I think it's, it is closest to my heart of all their albums. I'm not sure if I'd say that Mung was the Super Animals' finest uh, album. Um, it's certainly up there. Uh, I'd always probably put it in my top three. Sometimes it's at number one. Sometimes uh, you know it's at number three. But uh, they've got such a fantastic body of work that uh, you know you ask any fan it's always difficult for them to pick uh, which their favorite is mung for me in the ranking is uh it's probably my second favorite furry album after gorilla it is a bit like choosing children uh yeah second favorite really enjoyed Mung when it came out and 20 years on I still think it sounds fantastic I think it also uh, was quite an ambitious and and audacious thing to do but it it completely paid off Uh, as a weather presenter I particularly love a spadii haylog um, sunny intervals it's it's great for mixing meteorology and music brilliant for anyone who's learning uh, Welsh weather vocabulary it was such a bonkers song to release as a single and uh, I particularly love those strings as well it sounds like they're strumming an egg slicer it was uh, a crazy single which still sounds fantastic it's got a real sort of lo-fi charm to it um a pastoral folkiness and given where it was recorded um on a small budget in producer Gorwell Owen's bungalow on Anglesey that's possibly not a surprise but it's got a lasting warmth to it essentially um and it's a great entrance to Welsh language music for anybody who's never come across the language before you can't help but be charmed by it and struck by its beauty. Um, And in that sense, you know, it'll be one of those albums that will always be cited amongst the top 10 sort of Welsh language, Welsh music albums of all time. It feels like a statement and a real sort of honest sort of message in terms of an album. The lyrics are a lot more direct and, it, and I say that as someone who doesn't listen to lyrics, doesn't pay much attention to lyrics, but it's something which really, really, um, the lyrics in, in Mung have really, really got to me. Mung is definitely my one of my favourites, if not uh, my favourite Super Furry Animals album. There's a lot of people that sort of hold that record close to their hearts. And I think for non-Welsh speakers like myself, um, only really knowing relatively recently really about the the, the, the the lyrics what what they mean but I think it's it, 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 it's there's, there's something really special about that record I love it for its stripped back nature um, and sort of urgency of, of of the music and I think to celebrate the anniversary of that record is a, a wonderful thing to do for a fantastic record Mung's success is unprecedented as a Welsh language album but what is its legacy 20 years later? Mung is dated really well you know, in terms of sound and its kind of um, relevance in today's culture, um, I think it will probably be the album that dates best. 
I think that the best thing about Mung um, 20 years later is that the album sounds as good today as it did then. It's, it really hasn't aged that much or it's aged well. Even it sounds um, like a warm hug to to anyone who's as old as me. If, if it's like a nostalgic hug. Um, but to, to new ears, it's still inspiring young Welsh musicians to create Welsh language music and not to find the language as a barrier. Um, I think that's the biggest testament. It's still inspiring people. And I think if the 30s were an Icelandic band, I think they'd be celebrating them much more than we do in Wales. We do celebrate them, but I don't think we do enough. I think they'd be Iceland or Sweden's number one export. I think uh, we don't talk about them enough. Among is that it captures the band the Super Fairy Animals became, you know, after touring three very produced studio albums. Uh, suddenly, we were quite a vibey live band, and on takes like Panaruaur and Takuhi and things like that, you can hear, um, hear us play and interact with each other, um, which is you know, a bit further than maybe we had on our previous records. Um, and, um, you know, mixed by Gorwell, who's an innovator. And a rock um, picture of what we were up to. And, um, quite a complete sounding album, I think, with a very non-conformist um, hats felt open. Oh, it's really awkward answering that question when you've played a small part in the process. Um, I'll try to detach myself. You know the song um, There's a line about how um, a song is um, like a stone in a continuous wall. Um, so I think the band put um, quite a big boulder in that wall with Mung. Mung just fits into fits nicely into the tradition of the albums that come out of Wales. I think we were we were very lucky. To, we were very um, we were in a very privileged position as musicians because we were getting our records put out all around the world. They get played them. You know, we were getting attention anyway. I love the record. I think it's possibly my favourite Billy's record. Um, and maybe partly because it was so easy to make. It was just made without any commercial thinking or, or any of those things that may be in the back of your mind when you're making records. We just, yeah, made an album without worrying about anything. I don't know, it's, it's, it's up to other people how they enjoy it, where, where it fits in. I, I don't think, 30s, we were always following a tradition, you know, down by gawky, psychotic monkeys, and, you know, and Culturally, I mean, it's it's the Welsh record, or certainly the Welsh rec- rock and roll record that sold 
most copies ever. So it does uh, have a cultural value. And then there's some great songs there. I still think a melody Aramelon, for example, is a great anthem, you know, to get on the side of the outsiders. And then that wonderful cover of a team lad by Dap Lucky that proves the point a good song is a good song. So, um, happy birthday, Mung. We can't have a party this year, I guess, because uh, of all this lockdown, but your 21st birthday, when you come of age, get the keys to the door, Mung. We're going to take you out and we're going to have a hell of a time. (laughs) 